This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of ligaments of the fingers from the hand section on orthobullets.com. In this episode, we'll go over the extensor ligaments, the retinacular ligaments, the digital cutaneous ligaments, the expansion hood, the MCP joint collateral ligaments, the deep transverse metacarpal ligament, the natatory ligament, otherwise known as the superficial transverse metacarpal ligament, the sagittal bands, the triangular ligament, and the volar plate. So starting with the extensor ligament, remember that the lumbrical tendon passes volar to the transverse metacarpal ligament, while the interossei tendon passes dorsal to the transverse metacarpal ligament. Moving on to the retinacular ligaments, these ligaments function to retain and position the common extensor mechanism during PIP and DIP flexion. Retinacular ligaments function similarly to sagittal band function. As far as anatomic components of the retinacular ligaments, the oblique band, or the oblique retinacular ligament of Landsmere, functions to link motion of the DIP and PIP joint. Keep in mind that the oblique band lies volar to the axis of the PIP, but dorsal to the axis of the DIP. In terms of anatomy, the origin of the oblique band is from the lateral volar aspect of the proximal phalanx, and the insertion is to the lateral terminal extensor dorsally, which crosses the collateral ligaments. In terms of biomechanics of the oblique band, with PIP flexion, the ligament relaxes to allow DIP flexion. With PIP extension, the ligament tightens to facilitate DIP extension. As far as pathology, contracture causes volar displacement of the lateral bands and a resulting boutonniere deformity. Keep in mind that reconstruction of the oblique retinacular ligament is used to treat a swan neck deformity. Keep in mind that if the oblique retinacular ligament is tight, the resting finger position is the DIP will be extended while the PIP will be flexed. In addition, patients will be unable to flex the DIP if the PIP is extended. Also, these patients are able to flex the DIP only after the PIP is flexed. Contrast this with intrinsic tightness, where there is decreased PIP flexion when the MCP is extended and improved PIP flexion when the MCP is flexed. Also contrast this with extrinsic tightness, that is extensor tendon tightness, where there is increased PIP flexion when the MCP is extended and decreased PIP flexion when the MCP is flexed. Finally, in terms of the transverse band, with respect to function, with PIP flexion, the transverse band pulls the lateral bands volarly over the PIP. With PIP extension, the transverse band prevents excessive dorsal translation of the lateral bands. As far as the anatomy, the origin of the transverse band is from the edge of the flexor tendon sheath at the PIP. The insertion is the lateral border of the conjoint lateral bands. In terms of pathology, attenuation of the transverse band leads to dorsal translation of the lateral bands and a resulting swan neck deformity. Contracture, that is, with attenuation of the triangular ligament, leads to volar translation of the lateral bands and resulting in a boutonniere deformity. Moving on to the digital cutaneous ligaments, as far as function, these tether the skin to deeper layers of the fascia and bone to prevent excessive mobility of the skin and improve grip. They also stabilize the digital neurovascular bundle with finger flexion and extension. The anatomic components of the digital cutaneous ligaments include Cleland's ligaments, remember C for sealing, and Grayson's ligaments, remember G for ground. So Cleland's ligaments are dorsal to the digital nerves and remember are not involved in Dupuytren's disease. Grayson's ligament is volar to the digital nerves. As far as the expansion hood, this works to extend the PIP and DIP joint. In terms of anatomic components of the expansion hood, the ones to know include the central slip and the lateral band. The central slip functions to extend the PIP and inserts into the base of the middle phalanx. 
The lateral band functions to extend the DIP and inserts into the distal phalanx. The lumbricals, extender indices, dorsal, and palmar interossei insert on the lateral band. Moving on to MCP joint collateral ligaments, the function is to stabilize the MCP joint during motion. Keep in mind that the cam nature of the MCP joint leads to inconsistent arc of motion because of joint asymmetry. This is caused by the, quote, snoopy head configuration of the metacarpal head. Keep in mind that the collaterals are looser in extension and tighten during increasing flexion. As the MP joint flexes, the proximal phalanx moves further away from the metacarpal head, tightening all the ligaments. As far as anatomic components, the radial collateral ligaments are more horizontal than the ulnar collateral ligaments. The radial collateral ligaments and ulnar collateral ligaments have two parts each, that is proper and accessory ligaments. The accessory ligament is fan-shaped, is more volar and tight in extension. The attachment will be from the metacarpal head at the center of rotation to the palmar plate and deep transverse metacarpal ligament. The clinical test for the accessory ligament is adduction slash abduction stress in extension. The proper ligament is cord-like and is more dorsal and is tight in 30 degrees of flexion. The attachment is from the posterior tubercle of the metacarpal head that is dorsal to the mid-axis to the proximal phalanx base. The clinical test for the proper ligament is adduction slash abduction stress in 30 degrees of flexion to isolate the proper ligaments. Moving on to the deep transverse metacarpal ligament, this functions to prevent metacarpal heads from splaying apart in abduction, and it also allows for some dorsal volar translation. In terms of anatomic components, the deep transverse metacarpal ligament connects the second to fifth metacarpal heads together at the volar plate of the MP joint. Moving on to the natatory ligament, or the superficial transverse metacarpal ligament, this functions to resist abduction. As far as anatomic components, keep in mind that the natatory ligament is the most superficial MP joint ligament. The origin is from distal to the MP joint, and the insertion is in the proximal phalanx of all five fingers, which runs in the web space. In terms of sagittal bands, the function is to keep the extensor mechanism tracking in the midline during flexion of the MP joint. In terms of anatomy of the sagittal bands, the origin is the palmar plate, and insertion is into the extensor mechanism, which curves around the radial and ulnar side of the MP joint. Moving on to the triangular ligament, the function is to counteract the pull of the oblique retinacular ligament, preventing lateral subluxation of the common extensor mechanism. In terms of anatomy, the triangular ligament, as the name suggests, is triangular in shape, and is located on the dorsal side of the extensor mechanism, distal to the PIP joint. In terms of pathology, the contracture leads to a swan neck deformity. Finally, let's end this review session talking about the volar plate. And the function of the volar plate is to prevent hyperextension. As far as the anatomy, the volar plate is the thickening of the joint capsule volar to the MP joint. In the thumb, the sesamoid bones are located here. The origin of the volar plate is the metacarpal head, and the insertion is the periarticular surface of the proximal phalanx via the check rein ligaments. Finally, as far as the biomechanics of the volar plate, it is loose in flexion and tight in extension. In terms of being loose in flexion, remember that it folds into the metacarpal neck during flexion. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over one quick question to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. When releasing a proximal interphalangeal or PIP joint flexion contracture, the check rein ligaments are released first, followed by which of the following structures? And the choices are one, proper collateral ligament from the proximal phalanx, two, proper collateral ligament from the middle phalanx, three, extensor tendon, four, dorsal capsule, and five, accessory collateral ligament and volar plate.
the correct answer to this question is 5, accessory collateral ligament and volar plate. So when releasing a PIP joint flexion contracture, each step should be followed by an attempt to extend the PIP joint. If there is no passive extension, then the next stage is performed. The steps for a volar approach PIP flexion contracture release are as follows. Retract the flexor tendons after appropriate pulley takedown, release the check rein ligaments, then accessory collateral ligament and volar plate. And finally, the proper collateral ligament is then released off the proximal phalanx. Extensor tenolysis only needs to be performed if there is no active extension. That's all for this review about ligaments of the fingers. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.